Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Hello, Demetria, and thank you for being on the Best Boss Ever podcast with me today. I am so thrilled to have you here. Good morning, Christine. I'm so excited to be a part of this with you and to be able to have some dialogue around a very important topic with you. Excellent. And just as we get started, I love to explain why I invite each person on the show. I've had the luxury of working with you for the past four years. And what I really admire about you is how you have made a commitment to advancing diverse women in leadership in the field that you're in. And I've just seen you take action on it and create real lasting change. So you're one of the leaders that I really look up to and hope to be like when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that compliment. Looking back, I'm a senior vice president now of financial crimes at Scotiabank. And throughout my career, when I was looking up, I didn't see many women and I didn't see many people who looked like me. So I didn't really have the luxury of a lot of help and support. And when I look at women in the industry today in financial services, I feel like it's important for us to impart that information. Let's help each other. Let's raise each other up because that's the only way that we're going to get more women into leadership roles. Absolutely. And like I said, it's been just a a pleasure watching you put this to action because you're making real change. And so it's it's amazing. I get to see it. Do you have anything else you want to share about your introduction before we get started? No, I think, you know, from my background, you know who I am and what we do. And I'm committed to inclusion and diversity, but really creating a space for women to thrive. Amazing. I'm just going to dive right in. Tell us about your best boss ever. So when you ask me this question, the thing that comes to me or comes to mind is the character traits that I've thought about. And I haven't had one best boss. I've had best bosses throughout my career. And there are things I've liked about them. And I think the traits that I most have enjoyed, one is that they are truly authentic individuals. And by that, I mean, they're so down to earth, despite their title. You never feel like you're speaking to somebody that you should be afraid of or shouldn't show your true colors to. They're very genuine in both your personal and professional development. And you'll notice that they operate that way, both in the office and out of the office, because truly the individuals that I've interacted with who I still know, and I would very much go and work for them in a heartbeat because they really left a strong impression on me around they cared about me as a person and had a vested interest in me. They offered me trust right from the very get-go. So they considered me a subject matter expert. They considered me someone who could do the job, whatever job or role or function I had. They didn't question me. They simply asked me to start doing things, whether that was you know, put a 90-day plan together or hire up a team or execute on a strategy, they immediately left me with your cup is full. And I'm not, you know, having to let you 
validate yourself for me to trust you. They right off the bat wanted you to shine. And then I think the last trait I would say that was obviously very, or left a good impression on me was they were situational with me in that if I needed help and support, they were there. I could ask questions openly and I never felt it was a dumb question. I could ask questions around their style, like how do they want me to interact with them or a specific meeting. They allowed me to ask about the audience, the person, you know, what things am I walking into that maybe nobody else would know. And they didn't make me feel or give me the impression that I was a failure because I was asking. It was more of how can I help you to succeed? And when I really did do stuff that was probably offside or they felt could have been done better, even in their feedback, in their constructive feedback to me, they never made me feel small or a person who was invalid because of that one situation. So when I think again about the characteristics of the great bosses that I've had, it's absolutely authenticity, trust, and driving the situation each and every time as a unique opportunity. And for me, those are the traits that when I think of a great boss, those are the ones that sort of last in my mind. That's fantastic. And I I love that list. Can I ask you to give some detailed examples? I love to hear, you know, walk me into a room where you're getting feedback from one of these bosses that has some of these great characteristics. What does that look like? So you just did something that could have been done better. They're giving that feedback to you in a way that doesn't disengage you. Tell me, what does that look like? I think a lot of women probably get the same feedback around they were either too aggressive or at some point are too assertive. There probably isn't a woman that I don't know of that hasn't been told that. And so I've been given that same feedback at some point. But with those individuals who gave me that feedback, they offered first and foremost the opportunity for me to impart what I think happened in the meeting, how I saw it. And what I thought occurred. And then what they shared was their feedback. And their feedback wasn't negative. They simply offered their observations and perspectives. And so in that situation, they said, you know, when you came forward and provided your opinion at that executive stereo, it felt like you were trying to drive to a conclusion without allowing the audience the time to absorb the recommendation. So you were driving a little too fast versus allowing the audience to say, okay, let's pause on that recommendation and allow that executive team now to own that decision versus you felt like you were trying to drive it within seconds. And that actually made me stop and think. And I thought, gee, you're right. And what was going on in my head was typically these meetings aren't more than 30 minutes. So I'm such a driver, but I'm also very aware of the time and the clock ticking. And I want to get to the end of the meeting and I want to complete the meeting in its totality. And sometimes you have to recognize that it may take longer than one meeting. Even if the outcome was you needed that decision today, you may have to drive in that meeting that if we don't drive to this decision today, 
Here's what's going to happen in the next two weeks. Are we okay with that? That really allowed me to kind of step back from myself and go, oh my God, I do do that. Oh, and I see that now in a different light. They gave me that feedback or that person did. And it certainly didn't come across negative, but it gave me such a perspective into my own behavior that it was like a light bulb. And I was so aware of it that every other meeting that I was going into, I was now cognizant of, I've been doing the work, driving the work, but the recommendation is for them to rally around, is for them to own. And so if they need a bit more time, absolutely. I can, I can drive the figures, the facts, the information, and that is going to help them drive the decision. And that's what I need them to own is the risk or the decision or the issue. And that was such a light bulb moment for me. It was an aha moment, but it really didn't change the course of how I behaved in, in certain types of meetings and or how I even behaved with my own team. I love that story. And it's such a good example because what I notice is some of the best bosses, first of all, give real feedback, not just, oh, you're doing great. Don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, you get stuck with this surprise performance review, right? But then sometimes I'll hear these stories where people are given feedback that feels unfair or difficult or hard to hear, and it's very disengaging. And so you take these very high potential people and you demotivate them along the path, and then they become scared or they fear operated and that that doesn't make any of us perform better. So I love this example where you said you got to share your observation of what you saw happen. They got to talk about their observation of what they saw happen. And then you were really able to take that feedback as a giant aha moment because the, what, what your intention was and how you were being received were two different things. And it wasn't, and it wasn't even delivered in such a way where you felt that you were being scolded. Like it was more, can I offer you this observation? Here's, here's what really needs to happen is these people need to own the decision yet you're driving it. So give it time to breathe. And then that was me just understanding that, Hey, it's not about me in that moment, driving to the clock, the decision or the time trying to get to the end of the meeting, get the job done. It's really about them. So how do I help them get there? And that just completely changed my own perspective. When you think of, first of all, can you tell us what are some of the characteristics of the not best boss that you've seen in your own career? Well, words of wisdom for people listening. I'd say it's sort of the opposite of the characteristics that I talked about. So one is, you know, individuals who are passive aggressive, which to me, really reflects, I'm nice to you in person, but then behind the scenes, I'm operating in a way that feels deliberately intentional or disrespectful of you. And, and that shows up in many different forms, whether that's bullying tendencies or inauthenticity. So like they're there just to get you to get to the answer that they want to hear and start to be done with. And I also think it's micromanagement. I've never been good at being micromanaged. I am very much a person who likes to drive my day, my outcome, my team. And so when that's all sort of locked in, if you will, it doesn't feel empowering or very freeing or the ability to generate creativity and sort of be yourself. So when I think of those traits, those are the characteristics that, and you can, you can see it very quickly. You have to think, I'm in this role, I'm observing it, what am I learning from this moment? 
I'm a firm believer that things keep coming to you until you learn how to deal with them. It's also your time to learn about yourself, whether that's tolerance, whether that's the ability to respond in a respectful way. You don't want to be the individual you don't like the character characteristics of, but you still learn something from it. And in the in that period, you're also deciding, is this the job, role, or career that I want? The reality is sometimes you're given those messages through people to really help drive what excites you, what makes you passionate every day and makes you want to come to work and be your best authentic self. Sometimes it's those things that trigger the change. Nothing else COVID has shown us is the opportunity to be reflective internally about just how much we can take as people and how much we need each other to be successful. Absolutely. And I like what you're saying too, because it's funny how working for the not best boss sometimes can, it creates a choice. Like you have this moment where you can either mirror the same behavior back. So I know I get into a lot of conversations with clients where the instinct is, you know, for example, passive aggressive or micromanagement, all of a sudden they start to become passive aggressive or micromanagement. And I always say, this is what culture looks like. (laughs) You know, people don't understand what culture is. I'm like, culture is this intangible thing, but it's the, we all mirror each other, you know, in a way. So to your point, you have this opportunity where you can either behave like that person, or you can become much more rooted in your values and make a much stronger effort to, to not be those things. <laughs> yeah, have you ever been in a meeting where just everybody's trying to talk on top of each other and create a point or be heard? And I'm always one of those individuals in the meeting where, honestly, if I have a point to state, I'll either raise my hand through the team's meetings nowadays or wait until there's a pause. But to say that I have to say something in that meeting because I feel like the behavior has to be mirrored, you know, it used to be a point in time where I felt that pressure. And now I feel like, no, that's not me. I'm going to speak when it's relevant, when I have something to say, when it's important for me to state something. And if someone's already stated, the same thing and me just trying to do it in a different way to be heard, it's not a good use of my time. So it's almost like that. I don't want to mirror behaviors or mirror somebody else's approach because it's the expected norm. I want to be me. And that's that holding on to authenticity, right? You know, one of the questions that I always get is how good or bad leadership actually impacts the bottom line. I think a lot of people say, you know, this intangible leadership stuff, it really doesn't show up, (laughs) you know, let's invest in sales training. Maybe we can see it in revenue, but when it comes to leadership and soft skills, a lot of people debate what the actual impact is. If you can think of maybe the difference between your best bosses and your not best bosses, what's the impact to the bottom line that you've seen? So there is personal and I think professional impact, and I do believe it's tangible, but we just haven't found ways to effectively measure it. I have been in roles where I'm beyond excited to get up in the morning. I show up happy. I show up raring to go. I've got more ideas than I can deal with. I am excited to move the company forward. And it's observed by, I would say, different things that, you know, we don't generally measure because Once you get to a senior leadership position, whether you are a manager, director, whether you're a VP, 
people stopped looking at the time that you put into the company. It's just the expected norm. But I've worked 80 hours a week and that would be the standard. I would, you know, work weekends and it didn't feel like I was working. Like I could still do more. So much so that my days fly by. I'm working with my team. We're, you know, working through ideas or different things. And we're producing things. I'm taking on extra work. So I'm asking for extra work and not intentional to prove something. I'm just like, I'm so excited. And this connects to X. Oh, okay. Can I take that on? So it shows up by the virtue of the fact that because you're excited and happy and and you're finding different ways to contribute, you're getting not just your work done, but you're doing additional work. You are, and I've had one of my bosses tell me this, like, I just don't know where you get all this energy to do this. And you're often doing things that don't even belong to you. You know, if, whether it's a deck, whether it's a presentation, whether it's an analysis, you're like, okay, uh, this person hasn't done it yet or that team hasn't gotten there. Let me start for them. doesn't mean that you've finished it all, that you've gone ahead because you're just so driven that you want to do the work. And I think, you know, you just see that helping others, asking for more work, being open to ideas, being open to collaborating. Those are all the intangibles that we can't effectively measure. You know, the only thing that most companies measure is overtime, but that's just one indicator. And frankly, a lot of us don't even track overtime anymore. We don't even bother logging it because there's an expected perception that, you know, there is no nine to five anymore. So if you think about an employee who demonstrates those traits, then you know there's a positive impact to the bottom line. And you don't have to be in a revenue generating line of business to see it because all of us contribute, whether it's a back office, whether it's sales, whether it's operations, whether it's technology, we all have something to contribute to the organization. We just do it differently. So when I think of productivity impacts, absolutely they're real. They just don't show up in a way that he's easily measured sometimes. That's exactly what I see. I just see the the productivity and also the creativity. So the way you solve problems when you're in a good state of mind and you feel valued, your ability to access more creative thinking is so much more, it's available. It's just like you said, when you show up and you're in a great mood, you're like, I can't wait to see what happens. And then you throw seven different ideas of how to solve the problem on the table. You can really see those things. But when you're scared of a boss or you're worried that it's going to cause more work, or if you open your mouth, you're going to be seen as stupid or it's going to hurt your your reputation, you know, we stop creative thinking. Think of ourselves as individuals, right? When we're open, there's just so much more that you're willing to receive. And yet, if you're in a negative space, whether it's because you're afraid of your job, you're afraid of your boss, or maybe there's even a personal situation that you're dealing with, and there's just so much additional pressure, your ability to think gets narrowed. It could be the smallest of things. I recently had a back injury. That injury literally had me not being able to roll out of bed. My ability to lead my team or think through when I'm physically feeling pain is that much more limited. And I have to rely on my team to do more. So, and that's just a physical injury. Imagine emotional injuries that we are feeling that are constant, right? You're going from, I think the average is 
11 to 15 different conversations in a day. And so contextually, you know, it's not the same person. It's not the same emotion or the same feeling in every single meeting. And it's just building and building. And it's like a pressure cooker, right? It's just boiling over. It's waiting to boil over. This has been fantastic. If you have any words of wisdom to leave everybody with, I'm going to ask you to share those. And especially given the fact, you know, as we talked, as we were kind of pre-interviewing, how challenging COVID is right now for the average professional who is home and it's now been over a year and, you know, some are parents and trying to juggle children. Do you have any really great words of wisdom for us? Well, I I would say that there is no one answer to this, right? We're all different. And so to respect everybody's individuality. So for moms who are at home who have children and are trying to deal with that online learning or just the fact that there are so many assignments, give them the freedom to do so. And again, they will, in productivity-wise, be tenfold. If there are people that are struggling mentally, Offer them venues, whether it's through your work or being an empathetic person or just listening, because sometimes people just need to be heard. For me, it's been exercise. COVID, as much as it's been the thing that has pushed us home and pushed relationships back and had us all online, it really has made me think about my personal well-being whether it's my relationship, whether it's my relationship with food or physical activity. When we were in the office, I was leaving home at 6.30 in the morning and not getting back until 7. And let's be honest, I was exhausted. There wasn't a lot of physical activity happening during the week. For the most part, I'd go right back online. And my activity would be on the weekends. And now I really felt that my integration is about me understanding what is more important to me. So again, returning to my authentic self, what am I willing to absorb? And what am I not willing to sacrifice? And again, it's not necessarily the same every day. There are days, this morning I was out at six o'clock for a walk because I know my day is full, but that's important to me. So I'm up and I'm not commuting anymore. I'm doing that. So I think for each person, you really need to think about what's important. Stay true to yourself, whatever that might show up like. Maybe it is having the courage to speak in meetings. Maybe it is exercise. Maybe it's being intentional with your children now that you are at home and you have this time together, which we may never get back. Who knows what our new normal will be? Making sure that you are making decisions at the end of the day that will lead you to be happy in your career your job, your next role, whatever that might be. And if in the moment we are all struggling, how do you help each other? Because that's what you can do as well. And sometimes when you connect with someone who has the same thing going on, you don't feel alone and you're not alone. And the mere fact that you can share an experience, have a conversation, can very well carry you through. And I think a lot of us do feel alone right now. So those would be my little tidbits of wisdom, if you will, that have helped me come through this. I I think we are still a long way to go. And each day, I really do try and get up and sort of wash the previous day off and start with a fresh attitude, a fresh perspective, 
and really try to go into it with today's a good day. Thank you so much, Dimitri. That was amazing. And I really appreciate every minute I get to talk to you and learn from you. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking to you. If you want to hear more, join me at christineleperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.